This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earnin today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 454 with Brenda Zane. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 454. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Brenda Zane is a shameless mom to four sons, ages 14 to 22, a Mayo Clinic certified health and wellness coach, and the founder of The Stream, an online community to support moms of kids with substance abuse disorder. Based on her personal experience, she provides a space to get and keep moms healthy while they fight for their children's lives. She also hosts Hope Stream, a podcast for parents whose kids are struggling with addiction. Brenda spent the first 25 years of her career in advertising, working for global agencies and Fortune 500 clients like Target, Microsoft, Nike, Hawaiian Airlines, and Procter & Gamble. She lives in Seattle with her husband and their blended family of four boys and two dogs. This conversation was so powerful and deep and vulnerable and painful and all the emotions. I'm so grateful for Brenda for coming on the show. I think this is something that we don't talk about enough. And I think it's something we don't talk about with enough transparency. And I know that Brenda sharing her story and sharing her son's story is going to save other teens lives. So listening to hear Brenda share her journey of parenting a teen addict how she made the decision to have her son involuntarily taken to a wilderness recovery program at age 16, how she led a double life being a leader at a Fortune 500 company and managing her child's addiction and legally complex life, what the vicious cycle of addiction looks like, the emotional roller coaster of hope and heartbreak as the parent of an addict, how her son went from death by overdose to alive and sober and successfully living in recovery, why she started an online community for moms of addicts and why it's not on Facebook, the exact steps to take if you think your child or teen may be struggling with addiction, and the life and death information you need to know about fentanyl. Again, I'm so grateful for Brenda to come on the show, for sharing her story, and I just hope that you all listen, listen carefully and take notes. I know if you're like me and you have a seven-year-old, you're thinking maybe this isn't super relevant. It is. It's relevant. So listen in because you just never know when this could be something that you might have to face. And you also don't know what other parents are facing this because this isn't something that's talked about. 
So this will also allow you to be a better support system to families who might be going through something similar. And you might be able to be able to lend a compassionate ear and other support as well. So here we go. Let's welcome Brenda to the Shameless Mom Academy. Brenda, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm really excited and very honored to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. So I always have to let people know during COVID that we are recording this in quarantine and we are, it's like week seven for me. So week seven and it's feeling too normal for me at this point. (laughs) What about you? It's a lot. Yeah. I was a little worried because our window washers were going to be coming today and I thought, oh no, (laughs) not during this time. But yeah, it's a lot. It really is. I mean, my, my kids are older, so they're out of the house. So I really commiserate for the mom who are trying to do it all, you know, the schooling and working. So I feel a little like I'm a little spoiled because I'm just here with my husband and dogs. But yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not gonna lie. I do have some jealousy. (laughs) Those people are just having extra time with their partner and (laughs) watching catching up on some good shows. And but I mean, it is really interesting. So we have one child and we have that child after a long infertility journey. And we would have like to have had more children. And right now I'm like, thank God we only have one. Like, I mean, this is really hard with just the one. And I'm like, maybe, and I even said when we tried to have a second, I was like, there, maybe there's a reason that this isn't working. And now I'm like, oh, this was the reason. What if there were four of these right now? (laughs) Right, right. So tell me about your family, because I know you have four children. Is that right? Four in your blended family. Tell us about ages and all of that stuff. Yes. Well, I do. I have a beautifully blended family. I have four boys and they range in age from 14, 15, 20, and 22. And so there's a lot of testosterone when they're all (laughs) together. (laughs) And then I have two male dogs and a husband. So I need girl time. Like there's no tomorrow. Yes. (laughs) Holy cow. Yeah. So it's a lot, but they're awesome. And, you know, boys, I would not know what to do with a girl. So I just, I do boys. That's what I know. And they're great. Isn't it funny? I had, when I had my son, I was raised with all women and all my aunts and my sister and my mom and I, and I was raised by a single mom. And so I was like, what am I going to do with this boy? And now I'm like, I don't know what I would do with a girl. Like you figure out whatever you're dealt and then you can't imagine it being another way. Right. And I'm just so glad there's not just one girl and three boys because that would be torture. Yeah, no, that definitely would be a challenging dynamic. So tell us a little bit about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now. Well, I have just in the last couple of years transitioned out of a, we'll call it 25 plus year career in advertising. So I worked for WPP, which is one of the largest, I think it was the world's largest global communication company, which I just have done forever. I've had a just amazing, awesome career there. Also worked at Microsoft and some other big corporate you know, entities in, in advertising and marketing. And that's been really my life. At one point I was you know, running the business for a very large Washington winery and a very large airline that flies to Hawaii, which you couldn't kind of ask for a better job. I was like, who has this job? Right. I know. I'm like, that's a kind of a magical combination. (laughs) Yeah. So very blessed to have that and just work with amazing people, amazing clients, you know, Fortune 500 clients and did that whole thing and learned a lot from that. And then a couple of years ago had a, a little bit of a change in life. You know, sometimes life shakes you up. And that really led to me doing what I'm doing now, which is being an entrepreneur. And that has its, you know, pluses and minuses. After so long in corporate America, I'm having to learn how to build websites and find Facebook pixels and all kinds of things that I never knew existed. (laughs) Right. It's so fun, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. From a professional standpoint, it is really eye-opening to see, you know, what it takes to run a business and, you know, generate business. I'm sort of used to having my days structured for me by client meetings and travel and all of that. So this is all new, but it's great. I'm doing what I know I'm supposed to be doing and I'm really passionate about it. So that makes all of that work really, really worth it. Yeah. Okay. So tell us about 
your journey into your work, because I know that it's deeply personal. And I'm assuming that you're what you're doing now and moving out of corporate, that was all related. I'll let you take us down that path. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it um, well, it started when my oldest son, the one who's now 22 was 13 or 14. He started experimenting with, you know, drugs and alcohol. We had some incidences in middle school where he was caught with some marijuana. And, you know, as in those ages, it's really, really hard to know, is this teen experimentation? Is this something more that I should be worried about? So things, you know, sort of progressed and progressed. I was newly remarried at that time. I'd been amicably divorced from my two boys' father and things just started getting worse. And, you know, it's a five-year story, so I will condense it. I'll do the Reader's Digest version of that. But he ended up really, really falling into a very, very difficult time, very bad group of friends who introduced him to a new world. So we're very kind of middle, upper class, suburban family, you know, just the normal, like from the outside, if you looked at our family, you'd be like, oh, what normal, boring people, you know? (laughs) All the things that people do. Yeah. And so as he started kind of spiraling down, it was just really difficult to figure out what to do with him because it got to a point when he was 16 and got his driver's license, which is terrifying for any family. But yeah, especially terrifying when you have a child who's really high risk, you know, not really going to much school anymore, um, just lots and lots of problems. And that's when his dad and I were really fearful for his life because of the people that he was hanging out with and the things that he was doing. We just realized at a certain point, we are not going to be able to parent our way out of this. You know, there's some things that you can parent and we tried therapy and we tried every sort of resource that you could think of and it was just not working. So we ended up making a really, really difficult decision that I know lots of families have to make, which was to have him physically removed from our home and taken to wilderness therapy program in Utah. And it's terrifying because you're handing, you're basically signing over guardianship of your child to a group of people that you don't know Mm. from, you know, in another state that you've never met because these things have to happen really quickly, like within a period of three days, kind of when you decide, okay, this is the course of action to making it happen. It all happens quickly. And, you know, people, transporters show up at your house at two in the morning and they take your child out of their bed and it's horribly traumatic. But we were really afraid for his life that if we didn't do something that drastic, that something else would happen. Because we'd had the police in our living room numerous times saying, your son is going to be dead or in jail if you don't do something. So all along, I was, you know, having this fabulous career and I was sitting in meetings with clients trying to, you know, pretend like everything was normal um, when all of this was sort of going on in the background. I cannot imagine showing up for work and having patience for anyone's problems or complaints or like anything that would happen in corporate America if this was happening in the background of my life. Yes. Yeah. It was really, really hard. You know, and my physical health really took a toll because it's impossible to keep functioning right when this is going on. So yeah, clients would be saying, well, the logo really needs to be bigger. And I'm thinking, really? (laughs) Yeah. Like that's what we're going to spend energy on today. That was a real challenge and nobody at work knew, you know, for a very long time because these are, the stigma around this, especially, you know, when you're you're sort of trying to live this just very normal life. Yeah. And the rest of your family is is just quote unquote quote unquote normal. Um, there's a huge amount of stigma. And so nobody knew what was going on, except obviously family members, because we were living the sort of torture of watching this happen. Um, so fast forward several years. How old was your son? Can I, I want to just interrupt. How old was he when you had him, when he went into the involuntary program? He was 16. Okay. So this had been going on for about three years at this point. Yeah. And, you know, there was the shoplifting and there was, you know, these things that happen. And again, you just don't know, is this just a phase? Is this something that's more serious? But, you know, a couple of things happened where we finally were like, this is serious. Yeah. This is just not normal. And nothing that we did was helping. Yeah. So he went from that residential, uh, or sorry, from wilderness therapy for nine weeks, where basically kids live outside in the woods with no tent. They have a tarp that they learn how to put over them and they sort of hike through 
the mountains, um, and, and they learn a lot. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing. And they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explained. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. My son did, he had some issues there. And so he was there a little bit longer than anticipated. And and then we knew that he was not going to be able to come home. Oh, wow. And is that kind of a typical course that where a child goes through a program like this? And then there's, is there like a recommendation made at the end, whether or not they'll come home? Or how does that work? Yeah. So they're working with a therapist while they're in wilderness. And that therapist is, you know, there to sort of help guide you with what's going on with them. And and they really, I think for the majority of them, they don't recommend that they come back because it's just not long enough to have them at that age when they're adolescents and their frontal lobe's not developed and they're, you know, they're kind of a mess anyway. And so to come back and have to now face your friends and tell them, why did you just vanish one day? Yeah. Where have you been? What were you doing? What's wrong with you? You know, some do, some come back and that was enough, but a lot of kids go from wilderness to a residential treatment program. Okay. And so he ended up going to a residential program also in Utah that was all boys and he did pretty well there. And he was supposed to be there for about six months. He ended up earning a home visit. So he did really well at those first three months. And after three months, if they've done well, they can earn a home visit to come back for a weekend. And so he came back on a Friday and ran away that evening with this, the bad friends that got him into the trouble that he was to begin with. Oh my gosh. Were you worried that something like that would happen or did you feel pretty confident 
when he was coming home, when the plan was for him to come home? I was kind of naive and thought that it would be fine. However, I lived in a very, very tight community and the other moms in the, in our community had said, you know, Brenda, I've heard that there's some chatter on social media and among the boys, because there was about 10 boys in our neighborhood that were all the same age, Okay, that he is going to come home and he's going to run. And so I talked to his therapist about that in the one in Utah. And I said, this is what I'm hearing. And so we talked about it and we debated and we decided let's have him come home only because if he was going to do something, he was going to do it whenever he had the chance. Right. Like now we're in 30 days or whenever he got. Right. So let's see what happens. And at least we still have some control. So we let him come home and sure enough, he took off that night and he was gone for two weeks. Oh my gosh. And he was out, you know, running around with friends. The police were chasing him. I mean, it's, you know, and again, I'm at work in these meetings thinking like, I don't even know where my kid is right now. I had no idea where he was for most of the time. And this was not the first time that he had done this where he had taken off. And so by now we were sort of on a first name basis with the police in our neighborhood. And we did find out that he was in Oregon. So it just got really complicated and messy and there's no roadmap. And I think that's something that I learned is where's the roadmap for this situation, right? There's no book that says what to do when you're right. Like here's step one, here's step two. (laughs) And then when they run away, here's step four. Yeah. And so that was just, you're sort of flying blind. Like, what do I do? And again, to make a long story short, we did end up getting him to come home. His cousin got involved, who was a really positive influence on him at the time. And so he ended up coming home and we tried to work through a lot. And he decided that he really wanted to try and restart school to his junior year of high school. And we knew that he wasn't going to go back to Utah to treatment. So, you know, you sort of make the best of the situation. And also for parents, when they're under the age of 18, you are legally responsible for them. So it wasn't like we could say, sorry, dude, like we're kicking you out of the house because you can't do that when they're under 18. So he did try to restart high school. He did okay for a while, a couple of months. And then one of his good friends from our neighborhood, this kind of group of kids committed suicide. Oh, gosh. And it really rocked the whole, not just the neighborhood, but each of the kids had their own struggle with that because he was the popular kid, the, you know, captain of the soccer team. He was just it. He was the guy. Like every mom was like, oh man, my kid was just like that, you know? And so that's sort of started him. And he had already been, we knew that he was still going, he was going out, he was not coming home. We could smell pot on him every once in a while, but we thought it was maybe not as bad. And then things just sort of kept going downhill from there. And to the point where I knew he was at one point dealing drugs because he had money that he shouldn't have had. And, you know, time that he was gone that he shouldn't have been gone. I mean, it was just, it was becoming more obvious that this was super, super serious. So had to end up kicking him out of the house because there was other kids in the house. And I was afraid for my safety when there's drug dealers around and there was gangs involved. I mean, it was just so surreal to watch like our friendly little neighborhood in Seattle. Like here's my kid from this great neighborhood and great family and go to church, like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm suddenly in this other world that I didn't even know existed. Like there's a world out there that I think a lot of people don't know actually exists. And it does. I think that we think that that only exists in movies or other cities. And I think this goes, you know, I'm in Seattle as well. So I'm like, oh, yeah, that, you know, and especially as a mom, I want to believe like that's just in movies or that's just in like certain parts of the country or certain towns or cities or circumstances or whatever. Like we all want to think that we have some immunity to that and some protection from that. And so I appreciate you pointing out that that's just all us being naive. (laughs) It is. Yeah. So it happens everywhere. It happens to good kids. Mm -hmm. And I think that my son is, you know, like every mom, like they're amazing. He's amazing. He's brilliant. He's funny. And he's all of the things, but you know, they get into this lifestyle and he was really not only addicted to by this time, you know, opioids, Xanax, you name it, lots of marijuana, And he just got pulled into this lifestyle. And I don't know if it's a boy thing. I think it is more a tendency of boys of this lifestyle of risk that he just loved. And he was really addicted to the lifestyle also. Had he always been a kid who, I don't know if enjoyed risk is like the right 
word or phrase, but he was always like adventurous, go check it out, go try it out kind of a kid. Absolutely. I was pulling him away from light sockets from the day he was a girl. I mean, you know, he was a kid that would just, I would leave for five minutes and come home and he'd be on the roof of the house. Like it's just, okay. he's just that, he's just wired that way. And so then you add in the glamour of, you know, drugs and money and guns and all of that. And again, this is at age like 17, it's a lot and they just get so caught up in it because their brain still is remodeling and developing. They don't have the ability to put the brakes on and to make any sort of a rationalization at all. It's just all good. It's all fun. It's all like, go, go, go. And so um, having to, you know, kick him out of the house, it was just before he was 18. I was like, I just can't, can't have you in the house anymore because it's too chaotic. It's too dangerous. And he ended up getting a DUI two days after his 18th birthday. And so, you know, we had had some other legal issues and he eventually, you know, it was very bad. I didn't hear from him for a couple of months, which is for a mom at that age, just torture to not know where your kid is. And yeah, I was working with a therapist who, you know, she was like, you have to have a plan, Brenda, you can't keep doing this. You can't just live and not know where your child is. And so I did contact him and just said, Hey, if you're sober, I would love to come buy you some lunch or we can go to the grocery store. I knew he was living um, part of the time at his dad's boat up in another city near Seattle. And so we sort of had this little patchwork thing where every couple of weeks I might see him and buy him some pho for lunch or something which was just trying to keep that connection with him. Mm-hmm. But he was in such, so he was so, so deep into that world that, you know, just seeing him physically was just so painful because he was just like 90 something pounds and just horribly sick. Did your, over time, you know, at this point, so you've taken us now from age 13 to age 18. Mm-hmm. Does your heart and mental state, do you get to a point of like, being able to protect yourself a little bit. And I want to use the word callous, like where you, the hurt has been so much over time that you start to build a callous around it. Like, and not that it would ever become easy, but how do you manage that kind of trauma for at this point, five years and not knowing what the outcome might be or knowing that the outcome could be so bad in so many directions? I don't think it ever gets less painful, but what you do, hopefully what you do is you have to learn how to kind of compartmentalize because here I was sitting at work in a meeting and I am getting a phone call from King County jail. Yeah. You know, it's this 1-800, you're getting a collect call from King County jail. It's like, okay, we're going to take a break here. Everybody, we're going to do a little bio break. Yeah. Everybody go get your lunch. And then I'm going to go make a phone call and I'm going to come back. Like you just have to figure out how to put things in two different worlds almost. And then I would just turn my heart off when I would go to work so that I could function. Yeah. But it doesn't necessarily get easier because I knew that that was not my kid. Like I knew my son was in there somewhere. I was seeing his physical body, but what was going on was not my kid. I knew it was the drugs that were, you know, had taken over. Basically, they had kidnapped him and they left this little shell of this guy who was like, kind of looks like my kid. I'm pretty sure that's him, but that's not my son. And so I just always had hope that he was going to be able to find a way out of it. Mm. So I think parents, you know, you do get to a point and there's a lot of anger and a lot of ugliness that goes on because they blame you, you know, you're a terrible mom, you're all the things and they're stealing from you and they're lying to you. And so to keep that separation is really important to know that's not my kid who's doing that. Otherwise you just, you lose your mind. You absolutely lose your mind. Yeah. So you, he's 18, you're going to work and living this like totally double life. Yes, totally. (laughs) And then what? Yeah. So he ended up actually asking if I would go to court with him. He had forgotten about a couple of court dates. They live in a completely different world when they're in that in that state of mind. And so he had forgotten to go to court. He had a couple of warrants out. So I ended up going with him for some moral support. And he realized he was going to get taken to jail that day because of this warrant that was out. And I just, I never negotiated with him ever, but I, for some reason, I just said, listen, buddy, if you will go to agree to go to treatment within one week, I will bail 
you out today. And it was like $250. We're not talking anything huge. Yeah. But I said, if you want help, you know that we're, we're here to, to help you. And we had insurance, thank goodness. And so he actually did that. He, I bailed him out that day. That was a crazy day. I had clients in the office and I was running to the bail bondsman and trying to juggle all of that. Oh my gosh. And he did. And he went to treatment. He went to detox and a 30-day place down in on the beach in California where they had yoga therapy and surf therapy and equine therapy. And he had an organic chef and, you know, it was just like, sign me up. Yeah, I know. It sounds pretty amazing. <laughs> I was ready for that. I was like, I need to go to, to treatment. <laughs> like when do parents come visit and hang out? <laughs> yes. And, you know, then he went from there again, actually back to Utah to, because at this point he was an adult, they have an adult program at the treatment center that he was at. And so he was there for a couple of months and got his high school diploma. It was great. Like things, you know, were really looking good. And by this time he was a little bit older. And, and was, it sounds like he was invested versus you having to be invested for him. Yeah, he really wanted to go to this place in Utah. He wasn't so happy about the place in, on the beach, which <laughs> you know, I was ready to take his place. Yeah. But he did really want to go back to Utah. I think it's a very safe place, you know, with their laws. There's just a lot less access to drugs and alcohol than there is um, here. So he wanted to do that and he wanted to get his high school diploma. And so he had a little job at one of the ski resorts. It was really great. But those programs are hugely expensive and insurance does not cover them. And so after he got his diploma, you know, we said, Hey, this is something we just can't keep affording. And so, you know, let's have you come home and try to restart. And I think this is one of the struggles that really happens to families is where, you know, you don't want to necessarily bring them back into the same environment because all the dealers are here, all the triggers are here, everything, but where are you going to send them? Like, there's not a foster system for recovering addicts. It's like, where are we going to send them? So, you know, we had to bring him back to Seattle. And, you know, I wish I could say that it was different, but within three months, he was right back in the same place with the same people. Actually worse by this point, he had kind of graduated to another level of dealing. And again, it was so unsafe and so chaotic and so dangerous for him to be around that I had to, again, tell him that he could not live with us because it was just too much. And I saw things going the exact same direction that they had been going before. And so once again, he was out, you know, on his own. He was, my ex-husband had a, a boat that he would go and live on sometimes to think about him in his normal state of mind, you know, where he's impaired on a boat around water. And I was just more than I could even to cope with. But so he did that. And again, we had this weird, you know, I'll take you out to lunch or I'll get you some groceries um, just so that we could stay in touch and have that connection so that he knew. And he always knew you know, we are here for you. If you are willing to get some help, just say the word and, you know, I will turn over heaven and earth to make that happen. But if you're not willing to do that, I can't do it. Which sound like very, re that sounds like such a reasonable boundary. And I would have, is that something that you were, were you all, it sounds like you were in therapy as well. And were, was your family kind of all in therapy or in going to Al-Anon or doing something to kind of get this kind of support and advice? Because I would imagine I would need a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to Al-Anon. There is a great parents group, you know, that I found. So I went to that most of the time. But the rest of the family really didn't. And I think it's hard, you know, because his younger brother was only two years younger. So we actually decided to send him to a different high school because we did not want my younger son to have to sort of ride the wake of yeah. the craziness and the trouble that my older son had caused at the high school. So he went to a different high school, but no, I was really the only one in therapy, which probably looking back, wasn't the smartest decision, but you know, everybody kind of copes in their own way. And so, and you kind of, and then it sounds like the family would probably follow your lead then, you know, at least someone was getting professional advice on ter in terms of how to set boundaries and those kinds of things. Yeah, you know, I was trying to educate the rest of the family on, you know, this is why we're doing this. This is how we can still be part of his life, but not encourage him in what he's doing. So it was definitely, it just puts a lot on that one person who's making the effort and who's trying to, you know, kind of keep the ship upright. Right. But yeah, at some point I just had, to, you know, I hired an interventionist who, you know, she was like, he's not even, there's not even any point in trying to do an intervention right now. Mm. And, you know, we tried sober coaches. I mean, you name it. 
we tried it. Like we did everything that we could think of. And he just, he loved that lifestyle. And, you know, at at that point he was taking so many, he was really, really addicted to Xanax. And I think a lot of people don't know that, you know, people hear of the opioid crisis and Xanax is not an opioid, but there is a huge problem with Xanax addiction and benzodiazepines in general. And so he was taking just handfuls of bars of Xanax at a time, seven or eight. Wow. Like just an insane amount of Xanax. And and so he was not using to get high. He was just using to not go into withdrawal. Mm. His detox from when he was in California was horrific. He was hallucinating. You know, he was just like, I can't do that again. I'm not ever going to go through that process again. And I can't imagine in an addict's mind when there's no, I mean, that must just feel like there's no way out because you're living this addict life, which is hard and grueling and exhausting and consumes every bit of your life. And, but then to know that the only way out is to have to go through detox, which sounds like, you know, you just want to die the whole time. Like, it makes sense that you wouldn't be able to easily make that decision or commitment. Right. They're just trapped in this cycle of not wanting to go through the detox. And then then how are you affording to buy all of these drugs? You really have to either resort to dealing or stealing. Mm -hmm. Those are really the only two options because you can't work because all you can do is spend your day trying to find the drugs. So it is this horrible. And he did feel like, I'm never going to get out of this. This is my life. This is just my fate in life. And this is what what it's going to be. Like, this is just how it's going to be for me. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray, literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived, put it on his toe before he went to bed. And the next morning he was like, mom, my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And, you know, we have a big family, everybody, you know, loves and adores him. And, you know, there would be moments where, you know, he would show up on a Mother's Day at a family gathering, and he would be sober. And everybody's just like, what? (laughs) Like, wow, you know, and that would last four hours. And then it would, I wouldn't see him again for two weeks. So there's just these like, the emotional roller coaster of hope. Yeah. And then seeing the reality of it and getting the call from the hospital that he's been beat up by his dealer and will somebody come pick him up? I mean, just the madness and like until you're living it, you just can't even understand the collateral damage that's going on. So it's not just the person who's in the addiction, it's all of the people around them and what that's doing to them. So he was 19, turned 19, and 
I ended up getting a phone call in April of 2017 on a Friday night, and it was a girl who sounded really young. And she said, hey, I just want to let you know that your son overdosed and he's at the hospital in the ER. I think you should probably go mm. and hung up. That was the phone call I never wanted to get, obviously. It was, you know, I wouldn't say it was unexpected, but it was just such a shock to get that. And, you know, that just started a whole process of, you know, how I was an hour and a half away on an island, like, you know, just not, it was just a situation that you can't imagine you're ever, ever going to be in. But we got to that, my husband and drove me to the hospital and got there. And, you know, when they take you into a little room down the side hallway of the ER, that's usually not a good sign. And so the doctor took us into this little room and he sat down. He said, well, you know, your son is here. He's overdosed on fentanyl, Xanax, marijuana, alcohol, all in his system. And he said, did you know that this is the second time he's been with us this week for an overdose? Oh my gosh. And I was like, Mm, no, didn't know that. And because, you know, he was 19. So the only way I would know is when I got the explanation of benefits from the insurance company two weeks later. Right. So he said, yeah, he was here on Wednesday. This was on a Friday. He said he was here on Wednesday with an overdose as well, but he ended up leaving the hospital. So that was definitely a shock and just sort of told me how bad things had gotten because I hadn't heard or seen from him for a few weeks at that point. And so he was in the hospital on uh, life support. He was out for three days. And this was Good Friday, so the Friday before Easter, that he basically left us. He was out and, you know, they were trying to, they had him on a ventilator because he couldn't breathe. He had been found in the backseat of, of his friend's car and they don't know how long, they friends had been gone for three hours and so nobody knows how long he was sort of out in the back of the car. But the paramedics, when they got there, did CPR for 30 minutes. So holy cow, it was bad. But he ended up pulling through and he started breathing on his own on Easter Sunday. They were able to take out his ventilator and he spent a month in the hospital. So it was a long, you know, recovery. He basically had a stroke, a heart attack, and all of his organs shut down all at the same time. So we were on the stroke unit at the hospital, along with all of the 80 and 90 year olds. <laughs> Here's this 19 year old kid. And he had to relearn everything. He had to learn how to tell time and dial a phone and, you know, read and brush his teeth and put on socks, like, because that all just, none of that worked. Yeah. And so after a month, he was able to come home. And then w there we were again, like, what do, you, what do you do? And when he came home, was he like, pretty much restored to typical health and function? No. <laughs> no, you know how hospitals are. It's like the minute you reach a certain threshold of, okay, he's met the criteria to go home. And I was thinking, are you out of your mind? You're going to let this kid out of the hospital? But he's, an, first of all, he's an adult, so he could have left at any point that he wanted to. I don't, he didn't really understand what was going on so much. He still doesn't really remember being in the hospital. Wow. You know, he remembers little bits and pieces, but he, you know, asks, well, what am I going to do with him at my house? <laughs> like, I'm not a nurse. I don't know what to do with a kid like this. And so there we were kind of in the back in the same situation of, okay, and we're going to bring him home. And I said, I know for sure. I know what's going to happen. These guys are going to come around. Mm -hmm. They're going to say, hey, let's go, you know, pop a Xanax and I'll never see my kid again. And so it was really, really an impossible situation. And luckily he was physically not, still not very strong. And so I did bring him to my house and, you know, he was still recovering. His brain was working a little bit better, but, you know, he was still pretty slow on what was going on. And his dad had been here the whole time that he was in the hospital, had gone back where he lives in California. And he lives with some guys in, in a roommate situation in a, in a house. And he woke up one morning and one of the roommates had vanished overnight and taken all of his stuff, all of his furniture, all of his clothes, and the room was empty. And the guy who owned the house said, well, I guess we're gonna have to find a new roommate. And he called me and he said, can you get him down here? Cause I'll take him, get him out of Seattle. Yeah. So that's what we did. We packed up and, and drove down and, and my son wasn't happy about that. He kind of wanted to stay in Seattle because, you know, in his mind, he didn't have really the ability to grasp what had just happened. 
you know, I had taken some pictures and video while he was in the hospital for him to see, because one of the nurses was great. And she said, he's not going to remember any of this. So you need to take some pictures and take some video. And so I showed him that. And he, at one point he said, oh, that guy looks really messed up. I'm like, that's you. <laughs> he's like, so the, he moved to California and did a lot of treatment there, intensive, a partial hospitalization and intensive outpatient. And so three years later, we are now just Every day is a miracle. And he's in college. He's on the dean's list. He works. He is a completely different person. And I think you don't hear enough stories like ours, which is really sad because so many parents are in this situation and all they hear is the, you know, the death and the overdose and the, you know, and the bad stuff. And there are a lot of actually really great recovery stories. And I am the luckiest mom in the world to be able to tell it. And so, we do. We just count every single day as a miracle. Wow. Oh my gosh. I have goosebumps and tears in my eyes. So tell me what was different about getting sober that time? I mean, obviously the circumstances were very different than they had previously been, but why do you think it has stuck this last time? We've talked about it a lot, obviously. You know, we have lots of conversations about it. And, you know, I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One was that he finally realized that the drugs were bigger than him. You know, he said when he was younger, he always thought he could control it and he was the one in charge. And this time he said, waking up in the hospital, he didn't know where he was. He didn't know what had happened. Probably I would say the first two weeks, every single time he woke up, which was five or six times a day, because he was sleeping all day. We had to retell him over and over where he was, what had happened. And he said, doing that, I realized these drugs are bigger than me and they're going to take me down and they're going to win. And so he did finally realize that. And then also just having, finding a reason to live because once he got into it so deep, he couldn't find a reason to live anymore because his life was so horrible. Yeah. You know, it's just life is horrible when you're in that situation and he couldn't find a reason to keep going on. And so why not just get high another time today? Because why not? What else am I going to do? So I think getting in a new environment away from all of the triggers, away from the people, the dealers, and luckily his phone disappeared when they took him out of the backseat of the car. When he was found, his phone somehow was lost, which is, I consider one of the big blessings. Yes. Yeah. That device was his connection to every bad person in his life. And so, yeah, just finding a reason and finding some hope and, you know, getting in school and being around normal people made a huge amount of difference and being with his dad and just having that support from his dad also. Wow. Oh my gosh. I have so many questions. <laughs> so first of all, thank you so much. I mean, what a story. And I so appreciate that you bring up this point that we don't hear about these recovery stories, and especially one that spans, you know, age 13. And now he's, did you say now, now he's 22? 22, yeah. So it's this nine year span. And of that nine year span, you know, there was a solid six years where it could have easily gone the other way. And those are the stories that we hear a lot about. Yeah. So at what point, when did you tell me about your job situation? So did you stay in your job through all of this? Or when did you shift into doing the work that you're doing now? Yes. Yeah, so I actually, it's all a blur, but I did end up losing one job because of the stress that I was under. I was underperforming. I was... I can't imagine why. <laughs> I don't know why. I was a zombie. I was a total wreck. And I did end up losing a job over that. And then when I came back, when he overdosed, I obviously just disappeared from work for six weeks. I just called and said, I'm going to be out for a bit. And, and at that point, you know, my, the president of my agency knew what was going on. He was wonderful. My company was wonderful to me. So I came back after those six weeks after he had, my son had moved to California and I was really struggling to be able to focus and, you know, really be passionate about what I was doing because the contrast was just so crazy. Like I've just lived in a hospital for all that. And now I'm back here and I'm getting on a flight to go to Hawaii. Like it just made no sense in my brain. Yeah. And so I um, ended up, there was going to be some layoffs that in our company and I sort of voluntarily made it known that I would be okay if I would be part of those layoffs because I knew that my heart was calling me to do something else. Else. I didn't exactly know what, but I knew it wasn't what I was doing. And I'd had such a great career. And I just knew 
I got to do something different. And I knew I really wanted to help other moms and other parents. And so I was laid off at the end of 2018. And so I had a teeny tiny little bit of severance and I had six months of unemployment and I put all of that to work to shift 180 to a career in health and wellness. And I got certified as a a health and wellness coach through the Mayo Clinic. It's got a fabulous program for health and wellness coaching and just made that switch. So left corporate America and started my own thing. And it's amazing. It's the craziest journey. Oh my gosh, it is. But it also makes so much sense that that's what you would do. So tell us, how do you work with moms and what kind of support do you provide? I started two things, an online community for moms in particular that is, it's not in Facebook. I know there's tons of Facebook groups and they're great and there's a huge need for them. But I wanted to create something that was a little bit more bespoke, a little bit quieter. One of the problems with being in Facebook, if you're the mom of one of these kids, is that Mm. you'll see their posts. Like my son would post that he was selling the shoes that I had just bought him for, you know, $100 pair of shoes. He was selling them for 10 bucks so that he could get some Xanax. So it can be a really traumatic environment for moms to be in. Yeah. And so it's not on Facebook. It's focused on mom because moms fall apart completely. When this happens, they don't eat, they don't sleep, they don't drink water, they don't do anything, they isolate, they turn into what I was, which was just a walking wreck. And so our focus in this community is on keeping mom healthy, mentally, spiritually, physically, as much as she possibly can, so that when her child needs her, she's able to function. Because there were times where I just was like, oh my gosh, if my son called me today for help, I don't even know if I could get out of bed because I'm such a wreck. So we really focus on that. They have access to health and wellness experts, coaching. You know, we do weekly calls to connect because isolation is a really big problem. I'm sure. And it's just a really sort of quiet, safe, private space for moms to be together in that way. I love that. And then I also started a podcast, which is, you know, it's just starting out. So I'm in awe of people like you who have hundreds and hundreds of episodes of a podcast. I'm like, how did you do that? You'll be there. Give it four years like I did. (laughs) You'll be there. That's really amazing. What's the name of the podcast so that we can make sure people go listen to it? The name of the podcast is Hope Stream. And it's for parents to find a place to just get real information and from experts and from me, you know, at times I'll do solo episodes and there aren't a lot out there. So I know a lot of people launch a podcast and there's a lot of competition. And what I found in what I do is I really don't have any competition because nobody wants to do what I do. Mm. (laughs) And so nobody wants to talk about what I talk about. And that's really hard when you're on the end, when you're the person who needs the information, Mm -hmm. it's really, really hard when you can't find it. And so my hope is that, you know, for moms who are just at the end of their rope and scared to death and sleeping with their purse under their pillow because their kids, you know, steals money out of their purse. Like they can just come and find a place to be, you know, held and supported. And, you know, we can't fix them. We can't fix their kid, but that we can sort of just band together and trying to support each other. Yeah. I know we have just a minute here left. Can you tell me if a parent suspects that their teen or child might be struggling with an addiction, what's your advice that you give? There might be a range of advice, but... Yeah, if you think that they are, if you know that they are using and that you think that there is becoming, you know, more of a problem of addiction versus just experimenting, I would say get help immediately, find a really good therapist and don't be afraid to really be super open with your kid because today if they're using anything it's going to have fentanyl in it and fentanyl will kill them to the, the fentanyl that will kill you is the size of two grains of salt and so number one get narcan in your house narcan's epipen of overdoses and you have to have it in your house and then just be super honest with them and say dude or sister whatever whoever you got like, we got to talk about this. This is really, really serious. This isn't just something that can make you high, it can make you dead. And so I think I'd get really, really honest with them. And then just say, I'm here to help you. Don't blame them. Don't shame them. Just say, we can fix this. It's just like, you know, if you had brain cancer, I'd get you to the best surgeon. So let's see what we can do for you. 
Oh my gosh, that's really, really helpful to know because I think there's probably a lot of parents that I would not have known that about fentanyl. And also, I think that we're, you know, to your point earlier where you're thinking like, well, maybe my kid's just experimenting with weed. <laughs> like, and you're like, let's just hope it's that. So to know that there's, that's the spectrum. We have experimenting with weed and we have something that's deathly at the size of two grains of salt. Yes. That's really important to know. Okay. And tell people in the, what ways are you currently showing up as a shameless mom? I think I'm just, I'm talking about stuff that people don't want to talk about. I'm talking about fentanyl. I'm talking about overdoses. You know, I was at a little thing packed before we were in quarantine with some family and you know, everything's happy. And somebody asked me about, you know, my business and what was going on. And I was talking about how the drug trade has really changed from Mexico and China and how, you know, heroin isn't as available. So this is what's going on. And everybody sort of looked at me like, what are you talking about? But that's my world. You know, that's what I talk about is I think it's really important to not be shameful of the fact that you know, my kid had this issue. And if I don't talk about it, who's going to help the other mom who's sitting there crying all night, you know, so I just, I've gotten rid of that shame and guilt and talk about drugs and I talk about overdoses and they talk about it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. One of the things I talk a lot about in my community is turning your struggles into strengths. And I mean, what a struggle you have gone through and also that you can get to the other side of something like that, where I'm sure there were so many days that you didn't think you or your son would survive this. And to get to the other side and be in this place of turning the what I would imagine is the hardest or one of the hardest things you've ever gone through in your life into the thing that now gives you all the purpose in your life or so much purpose in your life. And I think that that is so powerful. And I really want to impress upon other people, other moms going through situations, whether it's addiction or something else, that when you decide to take that thing that is the biggest thing, possibly the thing that you carry the most shame around, and you decide to create a mission and a message around it, that it's so healing for you, but also the impact it has and the ripples that are caused for so many other women and kids and families. And it's just, it's absolutely life changing. And it also changes the way that we can grow as a society and grow as a culture around motherhood and around addiction and around, you know, parenting teens and like just all of these different in all these different capacities. So I really, really appreciate this. Is there anything else you want to share before we go? I don't think so. I think I would just, you know, say, like you said, whether it's addiction or whether it's it's something else that's that's dragging you down and really making you kind of rethink life. Just know that you're not alone. Yeah. I know that there are groups out there for every imaginable kind of, you know, support. And, and I think knowing that you're not alone and finding people to plug into is really life-saving. I mean, it really can save your life to know that you can reach out and, and talk to another mom who's been and there another dad or sister or brother whoever can make all the difference in in how you get through it absolutely this has been so amazing brenda i'm so grateful for your time today can you tell people where they can reach you and connect with you and specifically where they if they want to be able to connect with you about accessing your community how can they do that yeah so the community is called the stream and i called it that because when i found another mom who had gone through what i gone through i felt like i'd found a stream in the desert mm. so it's called the stream and you can find all the information on my website. It's just brendazane.com and you can go to forward slash the stream or you'll see it. And the other thing that I would like to offer is I wrote a, an ebook. It's about 10 pages. It's called Hindsight, Three Things I Wish I Knew When My Son Was Addicted to Drugs. And I offer that to moms and dads because there are some things in there that I really, really, really wish I would have known when my son was addicted. And you can get that at my website also just brendazane.com forward slash hindsight. Okay. That's it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. So I'm going to have everything linked in the show notes. So if you go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode, Brenda Zane, and then you can find all those resources. Brenda, thank you so much. I'm so honored to have had you here. And I'm grateful that you shared your story. And I'm so, so happy that your son is doing well and that you are able to live this mission now. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash 
Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it but I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.